0: We want to give people the grace and the space to have missteps, make mistakes, to listen, to learn, and to be better. And within our teams, that's really important to do, and psychological safety can help create that space for people to learn and to be better.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Seth McInnes, and I am so excited for this week's episode. Today, we're focusing on a pivotal yet often overlooked aspect of the international education workplace, the concept of psychological safety, and why it matters. Psychological safety refers to an individual's perception of the consequences of taking an interpersonal risk or a belief that a team is safe for risk-taking in the face of being seen as ignorant, incompetent, negative, or disruptive. In a team with high psychological safety, members feel accepted and respected and are comfortable being themselves at work. Psychological safety is the bedrock of innovation and collaboration. It allows team members to show up as who they are, voice their thoughts and opinions without fear of judgment, and contribute to their team's collective goals. I am thrilled to welcome my friend, Dr. Amy Ewan, onto the podcast to unpack this topic with us. Amy is the Director of International Education and Study Away at Suffolk University in Boston. Amy received her EDD in Educational Leadership from Johnson and Wales University where she defended a dissertation on psychological safety and the higher education workplace. So yeah, I can't imagine a better person to help us explore this topic. Stay tuned, dear listeners. You do not want to miss this episode. Amy Ewan, welcome and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Zach. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: To begin, I'd like to ask you to please give us an overview of your career trajectory and the education abroad ecosystem at Suffolk University.
0: As with a lot of international educators, I've worked in a few places, come from different backgrounds. That's what I love about our field is that we all come from various academic and professional backgrounds and we've found our way to international education. I have worked at some provider organizations. I worked for the International Student Exchange Program in Washington, DC. That was my first job in the field. Through that, I learned a ton about the industry, about incoming and outgoing students. Um, and I was able to visit one of our partner institutions, the University of Marburg in Germany, which actually sort of led to my my plan to go abroad for my master's degree. I returned to Germany for my master's at the University of Kassel in Germany, which was a phenomenal experience, really international classroom. All of my classmates were from many countries around the world. While I was there, I was fortunate to be able to work on a research project Sponsored by the European Science Foundation. So through that, there were teams from Portugal and Finland, and the U.S. and Germany and Japan, and I, the U.K. I was so lucky to be able to learn from these incredible researchers and professionals in the field of higher education research, and just sort of sit back and absorb the information and watch the magic. One thing that I I think was sort of pivotal was at the end of that research project. I I said to my boss, okay, we've, we've done this research, we've interviewed these people, you know, what do we do now? And she said, we publish. And I said, great, then what do we do? And she said, nothing. We give it to the practitioners and the administrators, and they will act upon these. And I thought, that is some BS, because I want to do something. This is, we've, I've spent two years of my life researching this topic. I have ideas, I want to do something. So that made me realize that as much as I really like research, I also want to do. I want to take the research and, and make, make the actions. After I left Germany, I, I met my now husband in my master's program. He is from Chile. So we moved to Chile for a few years where I was very fortunate to get to know the Chilean higher education system a bit better. My colleagues and I had founded an organization, a consulting organization So we were able to work with Chilean universities, which was a great opportunity to just sort of see internationalization in a new context. And I returned to the United States in 2012. I worked for Johnston-Wales University for several years. I taught at Providence College. I taught a class on study abroad in their master's program, which was a wonderful experience and a new experience for me in that I might have this information and I might have this knowledge in my head. But getting it out of my head in an organized and clear way to bring others into the field was a, a challenge, but a really wonderful challenge. And now I am the director of, as you said, the director of International Education and Study Away at Suffolk in Boston, which is, I don't want to say it's the culmination of my career because I have, I hope I have many years ahead of me, but it is absolutely the best place for me to be right now. I feel that all of the folks that I have worked with and worked for over the years has given me the information, the strength, the mentorship to bring my my absolute best professional self into this role.
1: Thank you, Amy. So well said. I know one of your professional passions is psychological safety, and that's, of course, the topic that we're talking about today. For our listeners who might be less familiar, what does psychological safety mean to you? It's
0: essentially, as you said in the introduction, is people feeling that they are they can ask questions, disagree, admit mistakes and there won't be any professional repercussions for that. And when I try to explain that to folks, it can sound sort of dry because when you think of repercussions, you, know, you may not get fired for asking a question. But if we think about a scenario that we've all been in, you know, where you're in a staff meeting or you're in a meeting with your your team and you say, you know what? I didn't really understand this. Can you clarify? There's really two ways that can go. Either your team and your manager can say, "Oh, sure, yeah, let's let's talk that out and make sure that you understand." And you feel like, "Oh, good, I'm allowed to ask that simple question." The other option is, "I'm, ki- I'm sorry, you didn't understand." Well, that sounds like a you problem. And you know those sort of those two binary responses of course there's there's gray in the middle but that's kind of a lack of psychological safety or a presence of psychological safety and what's interesting about psychological safety to me is that it doesn't have to happen to you uh, you know what I'm going to use an example from my own professional career I booked our student group into the wrong airport which I have done if you say that in a meeting that's that's a risk that you're taking as you said you know you have that you You risk being seen as ignorant when you make that mistake. And if your supervisor says, are you kidding? Do you have any idea how much this is going to cost us? We don't have anything left in the budget. And you're watching this interaction happen to your team member. When you make a mistake, do you really think you're going to admit it? Do you really think you're going to stick your neck out? Absolutely not. It's so fascinating to me as a team construct. Because it really, if one person on the team doesn't feel like the team is psychologically safe, then it's not it's such an important cornerstone for being able to, to build a team that is, is going to go above and beyond the status quo and just people coming to work and just doing, keeping their nose down and not trying to cause any waves. Is that what we want? No, absolutely not. So that's one of the things I, I think is so fascinating about it. And for me, I became interested in the construct when my work situation went from being one that was psychologically safe to one that was not. And plain and simple, I, I grappled with what I was feeling because, again, not having a name for this, you say like, I just it feels bad now. Why does it feel bad? And I came across a study that, that Google had done, actually. It was called Project Aristotle, that they wanted to find out what makes the most successful teams. And they looked at every factor you can imagine. Age, cultural diversity, generations, Uh, male, female, you know, everything you could imagine. And the one factor that was always common, consistently, in successful teams, was psychological safety.
1: But she said, I, I like how you shared a story about booking in the wrong airport. I've made the same mistake. I was once leading a group of colleagues to Melbourne, Australia, and that was the day I learned that Melbourne, in fact, has two airports, not one. Um, So these things happen in our field and and, as many plane tickets and airfares that I've coordinated, um, mistakes happen. And I think it's Mm -hmm. important to face up to them when they do.
0: And that's how we learn is from those mistakes. And I think Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, make learn from your mistakes. I'm I'm paraphrasing very badly. Learn from your mistakes. You don't have enough time to make all the mistakes to learn from other people's mistakes,
1: too. I love that. (laughs) What are some examples of how psychological safety can positively impact team dynamics and productivity.
0: Well, as I said, it's it's sort of the cornerstone or the, the base of of a team that is willing to not just willing, is able to to have conversations that are not easy. And there's a couple of things that I think sort of get mixed in with the the conversation of psychological safety constructs that we're all a little bit more familiar with um, that are related, but very different. And so sometimes talking about what psychological safety is, it's helpful to to show what it's not. It's related to trust, but it isn't the same as trust. Trust is the willingness to be vulnerable to the actions of others. And the, the sort of key difference is that with trust, you are willing to give someone else the benefit of the doubt. With psychological safety, you are expecting that they will give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so trust is important in teams. And so you can trust people on your team, but still your team may not have that psychological safety. It's also different from cohesion. Group cohesion um, can some is defined as your commitment to the team, the task, and each other. And that's a great thing, but it can also sometimes lead to groupthink and team pride or our team versus this team. It's actually been shown too that having bad managers can increase team cohesion because it's sort of the whole team having this same experience of like, wow, our manager really sucks. So that's a pitfall that you that you want to be careful of. And it's also different from team efficacy, which is just the belief that you can you can complete a task. But the psychological safety is is so related to all of these things, and it's often an antecedent of some of these things. Psychological safety is so, so informed by leader behavior um because it's when you're thinking about these professional repercussions there's a hierarchy there that we're all aware of and somebody who is professionally evaluating you if you don't feel like you are able to again ask a question disagree respectfully admit a mistake or offer a new idea you're not going to do that and my my research focused on psychological safety and creativity and innovation which we'll, we'll talk about why that's really important in higher education and in education abroad in particular, but being creative necessarily means taking risks and offering a new idea and trying something and possibly failing. And if going back to the core of it, if you don't feel like it's okay to fail, you're not going to offer those ideas.
1: Uh, There's so many other things that can happen in in a workplace, you know, where there's, there's a perceived lack of, lack of safety and other than termination, right? There's a loss of of potential professional development uh, opportunities. There are so many different repercussions that uh, a team member could fear that it might prohibit them from, from being their authentic selves. Many of our listeners might be thinking that they'd like to bring some of these ideas to their teams or colleagues, even if change at the leadership level might not be immediately possible. What are some small steps that anyone can take t- towards building trust and morale on a team?
0: What's wonderful about psychological safety, as I said, is that it is a team level construct. So we may all have thought about our own work situations where your team feels psychologically safe, but you can see another work team is clearly does not have that. We've, you know, I've been in that situation too. Within your own team, it is, as I said, it is a a team level construct, but there are things that you can do as sort of a, a dyadic relationship or you know, amongst just your team members. Because it does come so much from leadership behavior that that's super complicated to, to change because, again, maybe in a psychologically safe environment, you would feel comfortable talking to your supervisor, but, you know, chicken and the egg, which comes first. Talking with your colleagues and having that that relationship with them that, you know, maybe you can't bring your idea to the whole team. But if you feel like you can bring it to one or two people on your team and you'll be listened to, and they'll ask constructive questions. And if they disagree with you, or if they give you critical feedback, you won't be offended by it. That's a psychologically safe relationship right there. And then if one of you has the guts to say something in a larger meeting, to ask a question, admit a mistake, knowing that your teammates will have your back and say, you know, I didn't understand that either, or I agree, or I would like to explore this further, just knowing, and sometimes it's even as, as much as explicitly asking for that, saying, if I, if I disagree with this, this move that we're making, if will you not sit there silently? Because that's the worst. Even if you voice something where you say, I don't totally agree, but I want to talk more about this. That's, that's one of the beauties of psychological safety is that it lets you have these task conflicts that don't devolve into relationship conflict. And that's one of the dangers of a lack of psychological safety.
1: Task conflicts, not devolving into relationship conflicts. That's a really interesting concept. What, what is some of your advice if um, there's any practitioners listening who may have a disagreement with someone on their team, whether perhaps it's about the structure or pre-departure orientation or, 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 or a program portfolio list or the way the study abroad fair is laid out, right? There could there be any number of, uh, of things. Like, how do, we, how do we keep ourselves from letting a task conflict devolve into a relationship conflict? What are your pro tips there?
0: It's a cop-out to say, if you have a, a, a sense of psychological safety on your team, you are able to have those conversations. And I don't just mean, there, you fixed it. I mean, you can say, look, I think this would be better. You think this would be better. We both have the same goal. We both want a great study abroad fair. We both want to prepare our students for a successful time abroad. Let's talk about it, and verbally saying it, that this is not about you. This is not a relationship conflict. I am not trying to undermine you. And to back up for a bit, if you find that you are actually trying to undermine that person, then it's not about the it's not about the task. It's
1: not about the task. Yeah,
0: that is some. That's some soul searching that, that you need to do on your own. And and I'm not saying that that relationship conflict won't happen or that you're a failure if it does happen. It just means recognizing it for what it is. And, you know, you may you may be able to talk with your your manager and say, we are having this conflict or I'm having this conflict with somebody. I don't want to let it affect our professional relationship. I don't want to let it affect our work, and I definitely don't want to let it affect our students. Being able to to recognize it and see that in ourselves, I think, is really important. And then also calling out when you do have a successful discussion or a successful disagreement about, about a task at hand. Giving yourself credit for that, both all of you, and recognizing, I'm really proud of us for the way that we handled this. And reminding, again, reminding ourselves that this was about the task and we're all on the same team. We're all, we all want to win the championship. We all want to get students abroad.
1: That that was some really fantastic advice for the, for the practitioners who are listening, Amy. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts for the leaders who are listening. What can leaders in education abroad do to foster an atmosphere of psychological safety?
0: Well, the leaders are really the sort of the key to it all because whether we like it or not, we are setting the tone for our team. And it's not just about the way you react when somebody admits a mistake asks a question proposes an idea disagrees it's also doing that yourself and i found that admitting mistakes is a really powerful way to do that because as a leader you're expected to offer new ideas as a leader you're expected to disagree the other two that are sort of the more i don't want to say passive but asking questions and admitting mistakes, those are a little bit more vulnerable sometimes. And those are kind of the the, the first two steps in building a psychologically safe team is first you feel like you have, you have the safety to ask a question. The next step is the safety to admit a mistake, and then and so on. And it sort of builds on itself. So I have always tried to admit my mistakes and say like, wow, I really, really screwed that one up. And You know, even even if it's a a mistake that I made yesterday or a mistake I made three years ago, because if one of my team members makes a mistake and I can say, well, okay, we're going to learn from that. Like now we know. Let me tell you about the time that I did this. So it it sort of breaks down that illusion that the leader is supposed to be infallible. And I think that goes a really, really long way. When you see your leader admit a mistake or admit that they don't know something. I'm really fortunate at Suffolk. My team is absolutely phenomenal. And I think we've we've got a really good sense of psychological safety within our team um, that everybody can, you know, feels like they can they can be themselves and and ask questions. But I always try when we're having a meeting with somebody outside of our team or outside of our division, like if we're having a training or um, a meeting that's you know maybe a little bit higher stakes. I always want to make sure that I ask questions because I want to set the tone that I don't know everything about this and it is okay, that is why you are here, you know, person from the general counsel's office. We want to learn, and I'm going to admit some of the the mistakes we've made, the missteps we've had, so that I can set that tone for my team in each and every meeting that this is okay.
1: That's really great advice. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the art of the team meeting, right? And so on, on my team, we have a structure where you know, we share our professional wins for the week. We share our challenges, but we also, I also like them to share things that are going on outside of work. Um, things that are going on with their families or, or what their plans are for the weekend. What are your, what's your best advice to leaders who want to have an effective, a productive team meeting that fosters psychological safety?
0: In I feel like you're asking me to solve the unsolvable question of the this, <laughs> this, this, this staff meeting. I think it's. It can be any number of those things. And I think there's a little bit of trial and error. One of the things that that is suggested in psychological safety research is, you know, making sure that everybody not just has the opportunity to speak in a meeting, but knows that they will be asked to say something. That can depend on the kind of meeting it is for sure. But you know, I really wanted to make sure that everybody that we could it's almost like practice of, you know, tell me something low stakes so that we can practice building psychological safety. So in the beginning, I just asked everyone for an update and, you know, what are you working on? But that kind of always led into one of our agenda items in our staff meeting. And so it, it just got a little bit messy and I feel like people weren't, it wasn't adding anything, it was just making the meeting a little bit longer. So we had um, a training with our diversity peer educators at Suffolk. And they started off the the training by saying, "You know, introduce yourself and tell me you know tell us something good that happened this week, either personally or professionally. And I thought, well, that's a lot better because more people shared something personal than professional, which I thought was was nice. Again, we don't all have to be friends all the time and do things out of outside of work together, but there's huge value in recognizing our shared humanity and, you know, our wins. So you know, something as as big as like, I finally found an apartment or, I took my dog to the beach this weekend. Like those are those are nice things that kind of remind us all that we're humans. So I we changed our staff meeting. I said, you know, what's something good that happened this week? And then after a conversation that you and I had, had, I I thought, well, maybe we can also offer the space for like, what's something that you're struggling with? Is there a challenge or something something not going well? That you know, the value of a team is that you get to talk things out. Being able to talk those things out with your team again, it it can start to build psychological safety. If you say, "I have this small, low stakes problem," I'd like to talk. You know, you're, you're testing the waters to see how people respond to that. So there's a lot of strategies, and I think giving your team the space to say or asking them, "Is this is this helpful for you, or do you just wish that we were done so we could actually have our meeting?" You know, and, and listening to that feedback too.
1: Yeah, and actually taking action on on the feedback that's provided yeah. to you.
0: Yeah, that's huge. <laughs>
1: uh and, and I think like, you know, to to your point about leaders being infallible, I think, you know, if if we as leaders can bring the challenges that we're facing and admit those to our team in in front of them, right? That kind of creates a space where or hopefully they feel comfortable bringing their challenges forward as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think too that I I will often ask my team for advice. Um, some of some of the folks on my team have been at the university for over 20 years. Um, some have been there for, you know, three years, some have been there for two months. But everybody has experience in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that. So being able to say, you know, I'm not sure what to do about this. I'm I'm mulling this over in my head. What do you think? Because again, as the leader of the team, my decision is going to affect our team and it's going to affect the work that we do for our students. So I want your input on it. I don't want to just present you a a finalized deal and say, take it or leave it. I really want the input.
1: But that also, you know, uh, uh, soliciting input like that also leads a team member to feel buy-in to the decisions Mm -hmm. that do get made. And, you know, feeling part of the process, I think, does contribute to psychological safety, wouldn't you say?
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that, Zach, because um, as I said, the other construct that I looked at in my dissertation was creativity and innovation and one of the factors that the the particular model of creativity and innovation that i that i used they have I, something called okay. participative safety which sounds like psychological safety it's related it's not quite the same thing but essentially it's that you feel like you can participate and that that's the, one of the core pieces of that is exactly what you said is that if you are participating in this in this creation of ideas or this brainstorming or this implementation of ideas, then you will have more buy-in and you are going to be, you're not going to be checked out for it. And that's the worst thing that we can have on our team that someone who's just checked out.
1: Absolutely. One of the reasons that I love working in international education so much is that diversity and diverse perspectives are inherent values to practitioners in our field. What role does diversity, equity, and inclusion play when it comes to psychological safety in the workplace?
0: This is a great question. And I think there's actually two questions here. There's what role does diversity, equity, and inclusion play in psychological safety? And what role does psychological safety play in diversity, equity, and inclusion? So as with with a lot of things, our experiences shape how we interact at work um, and in the world. And if you are accustomed to not being listened to, then you're not going to trust that you will be listened to. And so As I said, it can take time to build that, and you have these small, all of these small moments that build a, a sense of psychological safety. But it's really important to remember that, you know, often you know, women and people of color are they they may be used to either a not being listened to or being the only person in the room that has that. You know, everyone is looking to you to be the representative of your entire gender or your entire ethnic group, and. That's a, that's a heavy burden to to bear of I'm speaking for everyone and sometimes it's easier just not to speak and that's a right that people have to say I don't I'm not going to be your token spokesperson on this and that's absolutely fine. That's a really tough burden to bear um to feel like you have to to always be to be speaking for a large group of people. It's really important for leaders to remember that you need to understand where people come from. Everybody but recognizing the unfortunate and distinct challenges that folks who are underrepresented in our fields or in higher education may have have been facing and still are facing. You know, our, we always say that the average study abroad student is a middle-class white female, and guess what? That's a lot of our field, the professionals are A lot of the are, practitioners probably, as well. Yes, indeed. It's really important to make sure that we are valuing people's experiences because that can absolutely shape how they they feel that they will be received. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is about listening to and valuing and amplifying diverse voices. And psychological safety is a key to allowing those voices to speak up. On the flip side, how does psychological safety inform or support diversity, equity, and inclusion? Essentially, it just creates traction for DEI efforts to be successful. DEI conversations are very nuanced, and we want to give people the grace and the space to have missteps, make mistakes, to listen, to learn, and to be better. And within our teams, that's really important to, to do. And psychological safety can help create that space for people to learn and to be better.
1: You've shared so much today about how psychological safety can, can impact team morale and just overall well-being at work. Uh, I'm curious if we can connect this to education abroad and student outcomes. How have in your career you seen psychological safety in the workplace enhance student outcomes?
0: It is really important in in all of the work that we do because you know happier practitioners are better practitioners. But it's it does go beyond that. I've always said that running a study abroad office is like running a university in miniature. <laughs> you're you know you're working with the academic departments, you're working with financial aid, you're working with the registrar, you're working with faculty, with housing, with, you know, disability services, with coaching, you know, all of these different offices, which is one of the things I really love about the field, because you really get to to kind of work with everyone across the institution. And so the challenges that higher education institutions are facing, we are facing in the field of education abroad, perhaps even more, because we are already, there's, can sometimes be a, a feeling of this this being an elite experience or it's optional but it it doesn't feel optional for everybody and so there's a there's more barriers that we need to break down and so as far as how psychological safety can support better student outcomes there are small things making small tweaks you know let's change the wording of this question in our application to be more clear to invite different responses let's you know, change the time of our study abroad orientation so that more students, you know, if they're, if they're working, they can come or whatever it might be. Those those small things that I think a lot of times leaders, we might be a little bit removed from the day-to-day interactions with students and it's our advisors and our program managers who are talking to students every day and they're hearing the challenges that the students say like, I wish I could come to this. I, would, I, I couldn't come to the study abroad fair because it was here or because it was at this time. And so, In a team that's psychologically safe, that advisor might say, hey, Amy, I was talking to students and I feel like a lot of them have said, this is a challenge. Can we change that somehow? That's huge, just to be able to make that small change. We need to make sure that we are supporting all of our students and preparing them well and and recognizing that what we've always done may not be enough anymore because our student body is not homogenous anymore. And that disruption of the status quo is—that's what creativity and innovation is all about. It's the, the taking the risk to try something new, and if you don't have psychological safety in your team, you're not going to take those risks.
1: You won't take the leap. That makes so much sense. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. As we begin to wrap up here, I just have a few more questions for you, my friend. When you think about the international education workplaces of the future, what trends and shifts would you predict? One of the things that has impressed me so much over the past few years are all the new faces and all the new voices that have come into our field um, following the pandemic so what would you what would you say to them about where we are going as a field in terms of psychological safety
0: our field is a really supportive and wonderful field and so if you even if you are a one-person office and you you might be thinking well i don't have a team so this is not this is not relevant for me um, we're all working in larger in teams of some sort but we do have colleagues, as I mentioned before, our colleagues from the university across the cabin, or you know, our, our friends from World's. Your wonderful World's
1: Rights colleagues, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and, and it sounds you know it yeah. sounds
0: sort of cheesy, and I'm I'm not sucking up though, honestly. It's you, the the providers in particular are working with so many institutions that we might say, oh my gosh, we've been struggling with this issue at Suffolk for years, and we just I don't know, maybe this is just what it is, and then. I might have a conversation with you and you'll say, well, you know what? Another university was struggling with the same thing and they actually did this. Oh my goodness. You know, because we can't all go to NAFSA. We can't all go to every session at, you know, at every conference. That's really important. And I, I think it's hard to say how psychological safety, where psychological safety is going in our field. I'm just hopeful that it's it's a construct that people will start to to know about because again, it's we all know what it is even if we don't have the name for it but having a name for it is really powerful and being able to to name your experience or your lack of experience with with psychological safety and as far as the the workplaces of the future i think we are we're going to see more remote and hybrid work personally i'm really interested to see how that affects team psychological safety because yeah
1: yeah it's a great topic
0: we know that working completely remote and not being in person with your colleagues Is a different experience i'm not saying that it's better or worse i think a lot of us are are really thrilled to have remote or hybrid opportunities but it's going to be different and i i'm really interested to see what the research shows over the years of of how that impacts team psychological safety
1: well hopefully uh, after listening to this episode our listeners will be able to name this concept and where applicable change it uh, and enhance outcomes for themselves and for their students I hope um, so. This has been such a thoughtful and, and inspiring conversation, Amy. And, you know, as we begin to wrap up here, I have one last question for you. As you contemplate education abroad in 2024, what makes you hopeful? Our students.
0: Um, honestly, I think, you know, there's the things that we are doing, which is, you know, paying more attention to diversity, equity and inclusion and trying to, to bring more voices to the table. But our students are, you know, as much as, as old farts like me like to, you know, say like, oh, this generation, you know, they didn't know what a cassette Kids tape is. Kids today. Kids <laughs> today, right. You know, they don't know the difficulties of whatever. They're going to change the world. You know, I just see how passionate they are about social justice and about just standing up for each other. And you know, I, I think it was Trevor Noah who said like, this is a generation that's like, they want to talk to like the manager of the world. They're like, no, I don't accept this. I wanna see your manager, this needs to be better. And they're using that, that power for good. And if we can help as many students as possible to have some sort of international experience, whether it's traveling abroad themselves or connecting with international students who are on their campus, like there's no stopping them. It's gonna be incredible.
1: I can't imagine a better place to end things than right here. Dr. Amy Ewan, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Zach, this was wonderful.
1: To our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.